been with us for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've been kind of kicking off each week with this series of videos. Um, Eugene Peterson, who is a guy, he's a, a, an amazing scholar, a very godly man, written a number of amazing books. Uh, but he did, uh, he did this, this thing called The Message, and it's a, it's a translation of the Bible. It's kind of midway between a translation and a commentary, but it's, um, it's, it's in the language of today. And so he's really well known for that. And he's a very kind of, he's out of the public eye at the moment, and he, he, he didn't, uh, he's never heard of Bono before. And Bono had heard of him, and he wanted to meet him. And so he, they were able to meet and have a conversation about the Psalms. Um, and just a very engaging uh, conversation as we, that we've been listening to and kind of using that as a gateway into looking at the Psalms. Uh, so we're going to roll that video. We're going to listen to that, and, just, uh, and then I'll introduce our guest speaker for this week. I got started uh, with this, uh, translating the Psalms by translating a Psalm for a, a certain person, just a single person, um, to try to get them to realize that praying wasn't being nice before God. I would translate a Psalm that I thought fit them. And you know, the Psalms are not pretty. They're not, they're not nice. And, um, and I would ask them, just pray this psalm using my translation. I think I'm doing it as about as close to the Hebrew as I can get it. And, but it's, it's not smooth. It's not nice. It's not pretty. But it's, it's honest. And I think we're trying for honesty, um, which is very, very hard in our, in our culture. I, I'm talking about dishonesty, that I find a lot of, in, the, in, in Christian art, a lot of dishonesty. Yeah, and, right. I, and, I, and, I, and I think it's a shame because you got, these are people who are vulnerable to God in a good way. You know, vulnerable, I mean porous, open. I, I, I would love if, 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 if this conversation would inspire people who are writing these beautiful voices and writing these beautiful, say, gospel songs, Write a song about their bad marriage. Write a song about, about how they're, you know, over the government. Because that's what God wants from you, that truth, the way, the truth. And, and that truthfulness, know the truth, the truth will set you free. It'll blow things apart. Why I, I'm suspicious of Christians is because uh, of this lack of, of realism. And I'd love to see more of that in art and in life and in music. I love what Bono said. He, he gets out of the Psalms, right? He gets the, God wants you to be all of you, the good, bad, and the ugly to him. He doesn't want a fake version of you. Um, so I'm not going to say any more. I get to introduce David Jansen. He is technically my boss, but he's, he prefers the title friend and coach. Um, so if you'd welcome him. So I'll leave you in his very capable hands. That was so good, wasn't it? The one more, the worship. The Lord is here. Uh, if we could put the stained glass thing up there, thingy up there, and, and the words, what we sang today, you couldn't find a song that dovetails more closely with the adventure that we're about to take. So 
my encouragement is fasten your seatbelts. And what this is about is not me bringing all these words. I'm going to share with you how God helped me come from that point of having this, this piece of my heart that was causing a ruckus in there and moving me to what Bono was talking about, about truth and about being vulnerable and transparent. But this is cool in itself, and, and I love this. One thing, I was able to do a wedding for, for a family member over in France in a 15th century place, and all of those lights, that's actually very real in European cathedrals because they built those things. Remember, people couldn't read mostly back then. They built those things that everything's visual so that that light actually comes through those colors and shoots colors on people. And if you step back and say, well, what were they saying? They were saying that the light of the world, that light passes through our lives and like a prism shoots in all directions. And there's actually light and then there's darkness. So where there is not that light, where the light comes in, there's like darkness. So it's a very interesting thing. But if I can get the words, can we run the words real quickly through here? Uh, you call me out upon the waters. Remember that. The great unknown. So it's water that's unknown. We may fail. My feet may fail. And there I find you in that mystery. Okay, what's that all about? Did you know you sang this? We sang this. In oceans deep, my, my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. For when oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. Good. That's good. <laughs> yesterday, Janine and I, wasn't it a beautiful day yesterday? Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful here in the summer. Every, every season. But Janine and I went to this little general store. You know how we have these general stores or these little things from years past where you can still buy penny candy. Do you know what that is? And Necco wafers, things you've never heard before that were existed many, many years ago. When we were getting a hamburger, it had grocery store things in there and a special for the day. And so we got a couple hamburgers and we ate. And we're heading out and there were these two little girls. One was five and one was three. And they both had popsicles in their hands. The really good ones that are vanilla ice cream with the chocolate. They dipped it in chocolate. And so Janine and I look at each other and go, yeah, it doesn't take much to get us to do ice cream. So, yeah, let's go get some. So we have our popsicles. They have their popsicles. And we're heading towards the door. And the little three-year-old goes before me, opens the door like this, and stands there and goes, would you like to go through? Three years of age. Am I right, Jenny? The five-year-old sister was right with her. And I'm like, these kids are like rock stars. I mean, I, you know, three years old holding a door. So we sat on the patio. We were there, a couple other people. Their mother was there. And uh, all of a sudden, as we're eating these popsicles and they're melting, the f if you're here today and you're the mom, you are a rock star and so are your kids. The five-year-old girl all of a sudden starts to... <laughs> to cry a little bit because some of the ice cream's getting on her fingers. And she has kind of a slight meltdown at that point. Why don't I have a napkin? And like life just became real at that moment. And her mom, like where did she get this? She had to go to the mending, mending parenting class because she goes, honey, your screaming is not going to get the napkin here any quicker. 
so you can calm down and we'll get a napkin. And then Janine has a rolled up napkin. She goes, would you like this? And the girl just takes it and she kind of whimpers. And I'm saying to myself, I need what that mother said. You know, streaming and being upset at things really doesn't make things happen any faster, even though the world says a squeaky wheel gets the oil. Who wants to be hanging around the squeaky wheel to begin with? So in that, she was right. I'm like, that really spoke to my soul. And then I said to myself, we're all kind of like that. One minute we can open the door. One moment we can do something really nice for someone. And then a few minutes later, some little squirrely thing happens and we have a meltdown. How can, how can we do this and then do this? Why do I have these meltdowns? Why do we have these meltdowns? Why do we find ourselves in this world where there is honesty, like Bono said, and yet this challenge of dishonesty, this in-the-middle world where what we know isn't quite caught up to who we are and where we live? Psalm 42, we're in a study on the Psalms. Today's session, the theme of today is honesty, dishonesty. Psalm 42, this was really a journey that helped me from being a little shallow one Sunday when I spoke and God taking me into a journey that I never expected with that, being honest. And my life changed through this, and you'll hear about it. This is what we're talking about today. But this, this 42nd Psalm, it's a Psalm of Korah. The sons of Korah, they wrote 11 Psalms. And, and if you look at it, it basically says, it says to the choir master, but that's a bad translation because they didn't have choir masters. They had worship teams. So to the worship team, written by the sons of Korah, they wrote 11 of these, and they're like Bono. They are the ones that you and I have so many of these psalms that are in our hearts. And so I would almost put ASAP, get it to the people, because this one is going to be real. And this psalm can change our lives. I started out on a Sunday morning. We lived in Pennsylvania. Actually, there's some people here that were in that church that we pastored for 22 wonderful years. I'm a Jersey kid. I grew up in the Jersey Shore near Seabright, Rumson Ferry, and that whole area. So I love the shore. I grew up to there. But God had called us to, to, to pastor a church where I went to school at Penn State. We were there for 22 years. Loved it. God did so many wonderful things. But um, in my soul, I guess there was something nagging. And it was there. And it wasn't about the people, but it was about where I really felt God may want us to be. And it was through a journey that I want to share with you today because in that journey, I would hope that it gives you hope that God, who was so careful in my life and in your life to make that honesty, dishonesty thing come together so that we are transparent, we are vulnerable, we are real rather than fake, how that really happened through my life. And so let me give you this little journey. It was one Sunday morning. I decided to take a personal retreat for three days up to the Finger Lakes to a place called Watkins Glen. But near it was a place called Lake Kuka. One of our elders had a cabin. And I was going to go there to write, being spiritual, curriculum for our men's ministry. That was just an excuse. 
I hadn't been on a retreat by myself for 20 years. And if you haven't gotten away as a guy, as a gal, even if it's overnight in a place or a couple guys get together, it's really important. And I said to Janine, Janine, I just need to get away. I need to get away with God because it's a very busy time. I'd love to bring my wife. I'd love to bring my kids. But this is the first time, I think, since I was in seminary, maybe 30 years earlier, that I really had gotten away. And so I went to this cabin and I said to myself, I'm not going to see anybody for three days. That's hard for me. And, and in those three days, I'm just going to have food and I'm going to read and I'm going to write curriculum. And that first Sunday night, I, I wrote and I remembered what I spoke of in the morning were these verses in church. Uh, basically, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's a good message. But it's not what the psalm is really about. In fact, it was really in worship this morning that I finally found a title for this, because this is a fresh message, and it was without a title. For my whole Christian life, I had really looked at Psalm 42 as, as a tale of one water. But it's not a tale of one water. It's a tale of two waters. And the first water refreshes in the first and the second verse. But there's another water of which we sang of today. And I talked to some of the worship members and they didn't know I was doing this. So that whole set of songs about water. Who brought that to bear? We weren't in control. We didn't connect it. But the second water is the water of that song. And so I had spent that day on Sunday speaking this. I'm sure people, you know, that we all heard from God. And then I went away. And I went to this cabin. And I had a little food. And I had a little water. And it was just time alone with God. No devices, no TV, no internet, no nothing. And I thought I was there to write curriculum for our men's ministry. And so the first night I wrote probably about 20 pages. I think it was, well, maybe it was 10 pages. Seems like, seemed like it was 20, but probably 10 pages of, of men's curriculum that we never used. Because that wasn't my real reason for being there. But it was in the morning that I had this little nagging thought in my head. What's in the rest of that psalm? Do you ever have God ask questions into your heart and your mind? Well, that was a good one, Lord. I don't know. And I started to read it. And as I started to read it, I, I read in, in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I poured out my soul. Yeah, I used to go with the multitude. I used to lead the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. So this speaks of a change. A change in, in my life, or a life, the psalmist's life, with, with the sons of Korah talking about. On the one hand, I go to God. I love times where God is present. He spoke to me this morning in worship. I love those times. But then I found out that it's not a tale of one water. It's a tale that God had, had put me to, to begin to go a little deeper in my life. 
And, and I finally had to say to the Lord, maybe by 10 o'clock that second day, Lord, I need to repent. Because I was cherry-picking two wonderful verses. And I didn't give people what it was really about. I made a tale of two waters, a tale of one water. And then I went a little deeper and, and I realized that this speaks of the journey of an individual who used to do this with such joy, but something was nagging in the soul. Nagging in the soul so much that the freedom that they knew to worship God and the freedom they knew to hear from God and the total just joy of the Lord because he's real suddenly changed. Maybe people go through motions. Maybe they become less than real as Bono talked about. Maybe something gets stuck. And when it gets stuck, we don't know what to do with it. And things that get stuck can be things like, I don't like myself. God can't forgive me. I don't think I'm going to amount to much. I don't know where he is. Somebody did something to me and they didn't apologize. Some gnarly thing happened at work or in school. Things aren't going the way I thought they should go. Um, it's not true of ours, but we got married and I found out my wife wasn't perfect and she found out I wasn't perfect. Of course we're not perfect. We all have the times where we hold doors for people and the other times we have meltdowns. That's kind of the way we are as human beings. And so here, all of a sudden, there's a challenge in this next set of phrases. I used to have shouts of joy at Thanksgiving, but now I, I just go to church, maybe I smile. Maybe I don't smile, I come for the coffee. <laughs> and, and I get out pretty quick, just so people know I'm okay. But deep down, because I'm a human being, maybe I, don't, I know I'm not so okay. There's something that's, that's in here. And so I, I, I just took time in the Lord. I said, Lord, what, what, what is this? Um, why, why is my soul, don't, is my soul downcast? I didn't even know my soul was downcast. You know, our souls can be downcast, we don't even know it, right? Am I the only one in the room? No, no. they can be downcast. Maybe we think we lost that promotion at work. We didn't get that house, we didn't get that car, we blew our tire, the our relatives had a dryer go out and they never delivered the dryer. So they had to do Amish and, you know, just get everything dry outdoors, I guess. And, you know, a lot of things can cause us to be, be downcast. But then I said, Lord, this, this can't be about me. Yeah, it's about you. No, come on. Come on, God, me? Yeah, about you. What do you think it'd be, Dave? Well, you know, Lord, in the town that I live, it's a great town, there are three churches of a thousand within two miles of each other. And a couple churches of 500 and 300 and blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, Lord, where I grew up in New Jersey, I grew up in a town that didn't have a church like this, where I could have a relationship with Christ and know how to get there. And I realized I was kind of heartbroken deep down 
for New Jersey. I know that sounds odd, but <laughs> New Jersey. And it wasn't just the food, but the food's great. And it wasn't the Mets, you know, we know that. So uh, I was just downcast. And as this goes on, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. I, I'm just downcast in my soul. Then I read this verse, verse 7. Deep calls out to deep. What's that all about? God, I'm just a little downcast, but I'm not asking you to, to go deep with me. Isn't it easier to go shallow with God? You know, just to get a little bit of God. Because then it's kind of easy. But then he calls you to some deeper place, like the psalm said, what we sang today. We're casting out from the shore exploring things that we don't want to explore in these back closets where we stuff things because when we grew up, we didn't know what else to do with them. My dad left when I was six. He didn't know the Lord. I grew up in an atheist family. Never talked about God. God was a non-existing thing, being, person, whatever you want to call him, until I found out that wasn't true. My life all changed. But you think of all the things that can get stuffed in closets, Maybe dad left, your mom left. Maybe you experienced awful things at the hands of somebody else. Victimized you and left you there. Maybe somebody, not even well-meaning, said, you know something, you're not going to amount to much. You're not like your brother, you're not like your sister, blah, blah, blah. You're not like Uncle Vinny, you're just, you know, Aunt Sarah. What's wrong with you, you know? You can get stuck right here. I have a friend of mine. Because I think, I think we have this narrative in our mind. I, I've learned this only in the last couple of years. But I talk to people and I ask them about this. I, I sometimes say, is there a narrative in your mind that kind of describes all your life, but it's not from God? Yes. What is it? I won't amount to much. Boom. I'm not like my brother. Mm. I'll never get ahead, whatever it is. And, and a friend of mine, he said to me, Dave, he goes, I know my narrative. I go, what is he? He goes, he said, I remember as a kid, I was in sixth grade or, or something there, and we always go walk up to the, the top of the hill and we get the bus there. And one day, it was raining so hard that none of the kids were at the bus stop. I'm like, where is everybody? And, I, and he said, I got there and I looked around and I saw them in the house that was nearby. And I'm like, yes, I don't have to get even wetter. And he ran to that house, and as he got up to the porch, he heard the lock click. And it didn't click open, it clicked closed. And the message that that moment dropped into his mind is, you are not wanted. As a 45-year-old man, he says, I am challenged. I try to get into everything I can get into because I'm afraid of getting left out. He's a Christian. A narrative. A friend of mine says, I grew up in a world where I had to have a small voice. And if I had a loud voice, I got in trouble. 
So I know how to make a small voice. And I said to him, I said, you're my friend. I said, I don't want you to have a small voice. I'm actually a little upset because I need and I want all of you as a friend, not some reasonable facsimile. He says, Dave, you can't take me out of that. He says, God has to take me out of it. I said, okay, that's a deal. I knew a lady, we did some things in terms of teaching, and she said, she's an adult, she goes, I know my narrative. I go, what's that? She goes, my narrative is this. I was in fourth grade, and I came home with straight A's. And my sister came home with straight C's. And my sister made fun of me for it. And she said, at that moment, I pledged to myself that I will not excel in anything. And she lived that out as a Christian. So how can that be? Can I ask you today, what's the narrative in your life? I'm too tall, I'm too small, my ears are too long, they're too short, my nose goes this way instead of that way. I had a friend of mine whose nose went all sorts of different ways and the doctor just said this, how many brothers do you have? He's like, I got three brothers. Go, okay, that's why your nose goes every day, because it's been broken so many times, it's not even funny. But we have all these narratives. The problem is these narratives are not from God. The narrative, I have to be in control of everything. Why do we have to be in control of everything? Because when we were little, everything in our house was out of control. So if I hold it myself, it won't move on me. How's that worked? Not too well, has it? These narratives that cause us, as Bono says, not to be real. And so I find my, my and I'm pouring my heart out to God, and this deep calls out to deep. Uh, verse 7, in the roar of your waterfalls, that was what we sung. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I'm like, ah, well, I'm not experiencing that level of intensity with God. Um, so I sort of said to myself, is he speaking to me, or is this just bad pizza from the night before? Sometimes you wish it would just be bad pizza from the night before, because when you, when you start going deep with God, and he's going deep with us, you don't always know exactly where it's going to take you. It's out into the mystery. Remember that? Out into the mystery. So after a day and a half, on day two, I said, I just have to get out. A little bird landed on the windowsill. I was so happy to see a living thing. I was like almost conversing. Hey, please don't leave. Good to see something alive. I'm alive. You're alive. It left. I said, I'm going to go get something to eat her. And, and I was, all of a sudden I saw this thing called Watkins Glen. I, I'd never been to Watkins. Have you been to Watkins Glen? Anybody been to Watkins Glen? Okay, don't give the secret if you know. Okay, we got two people. They all sit on this side. On Watkins Glen, I'm like, I've never been there. I remember when I was a kid, these, these, radio commercials for stock car races or demolition derbies or something was going on in Watkins Glen, but I didn't know what it was. But I went there, and they had a park. I said, well, okay, maybe I'll go check the park out. So I went to check the park out, and this is what I find. I don't know about you, but this isn't the parks I know, like Valley Forge or whatever. And, and, and it was made in the 30s, but you have one of these little things on the side, one way and one the other way, and I'm starting to walk up here, 
And I'm like, God, are you speaking to me? I mean, I saw the psalm. I repented because I wasn't honest about the whole psalm. It was a tale of one water instead of two waters. And, and I was just talking about the holding doors and the good things and not talking about the tough things. And I'm like, are you, are you speaking to me? Because here's a stream. And I go, nah, he's not speaking to me. I'm just concocting this. Then I go a little bit later into the, to the piece. And then, and then I find this thing at the end of it. It's like a waterfall. It isn't like a waterfall. It is a waterfall. Everything's wet. And I'm like, oh, look. In this waterfall, I hope this works, you get to go behind the waterfall. And going behind the waterfall, you get to look out. And you get really wet. And that's where this picture is. And I'm thinking, okay, it says here in this psalm, in Psalm 42, that your waters pour over me. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. I'm here to write men's curriculum. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. God, isn't this a little overboard about not preaching through the whole psalm and just cherry picking the first verses? Are you speaking to me? And so I walk to the other side, if I could, the next slide, and I'm looking at the beauty of the water. And I'm like, yeah, that's all Psalm 1. I mean, that's Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. That's the, that's the tale of one water. I love your presence. Because in your presence, there's joy. And in your presence, there's a reality. God is not a philosophy. He's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a thing that we do in a culture we try to create. He is a living God. That's what that whole first verse is there. It's the living God who changes our life. And, and I see this beautiful stream. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And, and I put my, my, well, I didn't put it, I put my arms down on my side. And I'm like, God, are you speaking to me? I'm just thinking, no, not really. But then something happened. Next slide, if I could. As I'm standing there, looking at the stream, and it was in the fall, a leaf, like that leaf, just fell from a tree. And I saw it just go like this. And it hit the water. And then it just started moving just started moving. It could never move by itself unless the wind took it in some wicked, wild place. But it just began to move because the stream was taking it right where it needed to be. And just at that moment, I had in my mind's heart where the book of Hebrews says, make every effort to enter into the rest R-E-S-T of God. Make every effort to enter into rest. It's almost like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. Why do I make every effort to just rest? Because it's really hard to rest. I want my devices. I want my internet. How can I be in a place without Wi-Fi? It doesn't make any sense. You know, and I got to check my Instagram. I got to check all of these things. And 
And I look back at that. If I can get back at that. Why don't we just leave that right there? That's awesome. And, and I look at this leaf that's so absolutely powerless. And yet it is built to float on a stream. And at just at that moment, I was like, God, I know what you are saying to me. To rest. To rest in him. To take my future and rest in him. You think of all the ways we try to control things. We try to control the future of our company. Tough to do. We try to control our climbing the corporate ladder. Tough to do. I have a friend of mine from Korea. He said, I lived the American dream, and I found out the American dream was a nightmare. He was a success. We try to control everybody around us because if we don't control them, everybody will go berserk. But what can we control? Can you control your heart? We don't even know if we'll be here, including me, in 100 beats from now. Can we control our blood going through our veins? Can we control where the blood goes through our brain? We live in a myth that we are in control. We're not in control. But we can do a few things and try to control a few people because when we control a few people, maybe we feel like we are in control, but it's a myth. They don't like it. It's a myth. It's one built on us. It's a narrative. It's what keeps us on the one moment. How many times do we open the door for someone and then five minutes later we have a meltdown because we're not in control? My napkin, I don't have a napkin. It can be anything. It can be money. It can be my neighbor. It can be my coworker. It could be God. You ever get mad at God? People get mad at God. Get mad at God. And so all these things can happen to us. And here I find this message of rest where, where it says to put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I said, Lord, this is it. To trust in you completely. And I said that day, God, I don't care if you send me to the desert, if you send me, I don't know if Janine will care, but if you send me to the desert, if you send me to Alaska, if you send me to, God, wherever that stream takes me, I am yours. I finally give up being broken in my soul about something that is out of my hands and in your hands. I didn't even know that that was the message. But I had such freedom and relief. You know, when you, when you give that issue to God, it's freedom. And you may not even know what it is, but he does. And he just needs to get us alone. And so you think of this guy named Jacob. Jacob had everything. He was a consummate business person, made of good fortune, controlled everything. And now his brother wants to kill him. Hopefully that's not happening to us. Our brother wants to kill him. And the brother's on the other side of this thing called the Jabbok. Again, another stream, another river. And 
He connives to get the thing taken care of. If I just send all my possessions, I'll send all my cute kids. I'll send everybody I'll know, my cute sheep. I'll just, just get it all out there so he gets in a good mood. And then scripture says he was standing there on the bank of the Jabbok, probably for the first time, absolutely alone. And then God comes out and grabs him. Where did that happen? Where did that come from? God, why did you choose that moment? Maybe that was the first moment where he was alone. The first moment that I could actually get to him. He didn't have his, his devices. There's no Wi-Fi in the Jabbok. There's no TV. There's no sports. There's no this. There's no that. He was absolutely alone. And when he was absolutely alone, God got a hold of him. And if you've ever been on a wrestling team, I did that one year in high school. I said, that's it for that. There are about three minutes, uh, three minute period, three minute period, three minutes, I think I remember. The word of God says that, that God wrestled him till daybreak. He would have been exhausted. His face would have been in the sand. And suddenly he goes, oh, this isn't about somebody just mugging me out on the street. This is God. And he got me. And he stopped me from myself. And he loves me. And suddenly Jacob turned and he said, would you bless me? Because he knew he was dealing now with God. I wonder in our lives how hard it is to get to the Jabbok. We don't want to go to the Jabbok. We'll go on a retreat to write men's curriculum and reposter chairs and to drink coffee. But imagine being with a place where God alone says, this is a destiny for you and for me. You say, does God do that? He does. He took this guy, planned this whole thing that I had no idea, and then changed my life. Do you know God can change your life in a moment? It just takes a whisper from God to change the trajectory of your life and bring peace where there are other things. If today I could take a moment and say, can I take something off your shoulders? Finances. Like that leaf. You say, I, I'm in New Jersey. I work seven jobs. I have seven full-time jobs so I can pay this and pay that. How's it working for you? you say, what do I do? Well, the word says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Oh, you mean God's got a path? Yes, he does. Two days after I came back from that retreat, where I unburdened my heart about how upset in my heart I was because I wasn't what I felt in the place that I wanted to minister I got a call from Bruce Terpstra, the district superintendent of New Jersey. He says, Dave, I'd like you to come to New Jersey, and I'd like you to, to be the coach for 45 churches. What? Where did this come from, Bruce? You're the guy. And I'm like, God, why, why didn't you tell me this before the retreat? Because you weren't ready. You weren't like that leaf. I couldn't give you that with what was still in your soul. 
I needed you to surrender, to surrender everything, to surrender your future, surrender your days, surrender whatever it is. Because you know something? Money isn't going to do it. You know that. Did the, did the last raise really change your life? Probably not. All that stuff, power, it doesn't do it. Control, say I control five people, now I want to control ten people. If I control ten people, I'm going to be happier because I have ten more people to control. How's that working for you? It's not. Well, well, David, well then what are you telling me to do? What I'm telling you is, is what happened to me. For, for me to become realer, I had to become real with God. I had to find a place to become real with God. I didn't even know he wanted to become real with me. But he led me right into it. And I didn't even know the ending of it in the beginning. It wasn't until that leaf went down into the water and I saw it move that I had the lesson. God doesn't love me more than he loves you. He's got that for every person in this room. So, so what do you do? You give it to God. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Where did that anger come from? Where did that fear come from? I, I talked to an elder at, at a church. We're sitting in a meeting, and he said, blah, 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 blah. This is why we did this and this. Why did you do this and this? Well, we did this and this because someone told us if we didn't do this and this, we'd become bad news and a dinosaur. And, and I looked, and I said, so really what you're telling me is you made that decision for the whole church out of fear. Yes. And then he just looked like like a deer in the headlights. And he goes, I think I've made every decision out of fear. Really? How's that work for you? Not good. Because I can't defend everything out of fear. And I saw him 15 minutes later, and, and, and we took a little break at the waterfront. And I said, how are you doing, Fred? His name isn't Fred. I said, Fred, how are you doing? He goes, I'm not doing all that well. Why? He said, because I realize that every decision I've made in my life, I've made out of fear. Do you know the difference between making decisions out of fear instead of faith? You can make decisions out of fear all your life. And you know where it's going to get you? In a castle somewhere with everything boarded up. Because you're afraid to go out. You're afraid to do anything because of fear. So what if I took the fear, if the Lord took the fear out? (sighs) The incessant quest for finances out. I know somebody's in this huge quest for finances. And it's like he says, I serve a God who is always hungry and never satisfied. That's the God of finances. Fear for my health, fear for my kids, fear for earthquakes, fear for non-earthquakes, all this stuff that causes us in our hearts to once having experienced the joy of the Lord, now moving to a place where we're really, if we're honest, we're not really happy. But you know something? God loved me enough and loves you enough not to keep you in a place of being unhappy. And he's just waiting, just waiting, just waiting for you to go take that walk in the park, to take that walk down the street, 
get that place by the river. To get the phones and the devices. Don't worry, Instagram will be there when you're back. And get all of that and listen for him. So does he really have something to say to me? Yeah. It's not in our timing. It's in his timing. He didn't tell me the whole deal until I saw the little leaf. You say, does he pre-describe things like that? He absolutely does. So what I want you to do is, is, is listen to Bono, man. Listen to the sons of Korah. They were rock stars back then. I'm going to go back and study the other ten things they did. Realize that he loves every single one of you in this room. He's got a message for you. And your life can change in an instant when you hear it. It's deep in the soul. You're not an orphan. You're not rejected. You're just not an extra kid somewhere. He loves you. He wants to be dad to you. I've got to close with this. I've got a place that I go. Lamington. A canal. <laughs> Some of you may know the canal. And when things, when I get really bugged, I get, we all get bugged. When I get bugged, and from one minute I hold the door for people over here, I'm like, cut my napkin, God, what's going on? I go out there. And I walk that canal. And I unload it on God. You know, he hasn't thrown me in the water yet. I might do it. But he put me in the washing machine at that retreat. And when I go to that place, God meets me there. Elijah had a place like that. Do you have a place? When I got saved in Asbury Park, New Jersey, at a summer job, one spin, one win, cigarettes for your bets, that's where I was. Right there, God can save you. Right there. Never expected that day to, to meet God. There he was. My quiet place was a fire, was my fire escape on the third floor of my building. I used to crawl out there at night, bring a flashlight in those first days and read God's word over the, all of the noise of Asbury Park. But I had a place. Do you have a place? Do you have a mountain? Do you have a stream? You have a place to go meet with God. And I tell you, he can change your life. I close with this. My name is David. My name is David Jansen. My dad was Werner Jansen. His father was Werner Jansen. If you're Werner here today, it's a great name, believe me. But I was going to be called Werner Jansen, which I don't know a whole lot of Werner Jansen. What's the nickname for that? Worm? I don't know. And, and my mom at the last minute goes, no, he's going to be called David. We didn't have any Davids in the family. And Warners and other things. And it wasn't even a big deal. I didn't even care about that. They never even thought about it again. And I'm walking by that canal. As I stand here today, about 12 years ago, I just unloaded on God. And it was as if the Lord said, David, your mom didn't call you David, nor did your father. But I called you David. Little still small, small voice. Because I wanted you to be a worshiper and a warrior. I said, what about the king piece? No, that's not in it. <laughs> I want the king. No. <laughs> I want you to be a worshiper and I want you to be a warrior. And then he ushered that into my life. And he has a word for you as well. Put the device down. 
Go find your retreat. If you can't get alone by yourself, go find a trusted brother or a trusted sister to be honest with you. Because what God is doing is he's taking the outside and the inside and taking away through these journeys those pieces, those pieces that are crushing us. Am I right? I know I'm right. And they're crushing you. And I can't even take it away from you. It's this wonderful God. His name is the Lord. So put your hope in him. And like that leaf, rest upon the waters. The band would come. Let's take a moment. <sighs> What's your fear? What's the biggest fear in your life? What's the thing that gets stuck that keeps us from the joy? If you pray and ask the Lord, he'll share it with you. So take a moment. What's the narrative that's breaking your heart? Do you know it? Just give it to God. Just say, Lord, I give you this narrative. It's not from you. I will embrace your love for me. And Lord... In this tale of two waters, I've heard the first, I've heard the second, and I go back to the first. Because as we bounce back and forth between those, we do meet the living God. Lord, we want to meet you. In Jesus' name.